Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Our gospel today, it picks up with a dispute with Jesus, to which he says to the unbelieving Jews, if God were your father, you would love me. But sadly, they don't love him. They hate him and his words. They reject his preaching. But ultimately, it's the gospel itself that they hate. Jesus' adversaries, they rebel against the very idea that they are sinners in need of salvation. They despise the very offer of the forgiveness of sins. And so right there in the temple this morning, they stand there seething with rage before the very Savior who came for their rescue. If God were your father, you would love me, Jesus said. But instead, they bank on Father Abraham, their ceremonies and law. But don't you get it, explained Jesus. It's Abraham who preached of me. He rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. But they despised his words. And so after Jesus acknowledged his pre-existence with the Father, that he himself is the very God to whom Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all bore witness and trusted in, they picked up stones to stone him. This is the ultimate historical tragedy, that the Lord came to his own and his own received him not. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them power to become the children of God and promised them his Holy Spirit. So again, it's the gospel that Jesus' adversaries hated, just as today it is the gospel that is hated. The message that Jesus is true God and the only source of salvation will always arouse anger and hostility wherever that message goes out. But it's important to remember that it's ultimately the love of God that is despised and attacked. If God were your father, you would love me, Jesus said. In the temple this morning, the very incarnation of love itself stands before them. Before their very eyes in the flesh and blood of Jesus. But they reject his love. And they reject the love of the Father who sent him. For Bible scholars, there is an important principle for those who study the Bible. It's called the principle of first mention. And something of an idea or rule that when you're determining the meaning of a word or topic in the Bible, you should pay careful attention to when and how that word is first used. And then you should really learn from that. The principle or rule of first mention means that when God speaks a word to us for the very first time in the Bible, our ears should really perk up and we should pay careful attention. Today our gospel opens up with these words, if God were your father, you would love me. So it's interesting that when you go all the way back, the very first mention of the word love in the whole Bible actually comes from Genesis chapter 22. 
which is our first reading this morning. And you've heard it before. The near sacrifice of Isaac. First mention of the word love. That's where you'll find it. With Abraham and Isaac. And that's interesting. God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Catch that? Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and sacrifice him up there on that mountain. Now, if that's the very first explicit mention of love in the whole Bible, dramatically, what can we learn from that? And what does God want us to understand about love? Because there's lots of talk of love these days. Rainbow signs and slogans and bumper stickers and all sorts of confusion, all sorts of chaos. But to all that, the Apostle Paul has words of warning. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. But if we take the rule of first mention regarding love in the Bible seriously, well, that takes us back to what happened up on Mount Moriah. First, between Abraham and Isaac. And the love between a father and a son. If you remember, Abraham loved his son Isaac very much. He knew that Isaac's children would grow to be a great nation. And even better that many years later, one of Isaac's very own would be God's promised Savior. So just imagine how surprised and how confused old Abe must have been when God told him to take his son, his only son whom he loved, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him up as a burnt offering. How strange to human reason that God should ask Abraham to sacrifice his own son. Abraham didn't understand completely, and how could he? But Abraham loved God and was obedient to his word. And in fact, we learn from Abraham's life and faith that there are far worse things than death, like disobedience and unbelief. And these are the things that Abraham feared more than anything else, which is to break the relationship with God. So Abraham, he rose up early in the morning and he cut the wood for the offering. He put the saddle on his donkey, and he started out with Isaac and his two servants. And three days later, Abraham, he saw the mountain in the distance. And he told his servants, a beautiful thing, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will, over, will go over there and worship, and we'll come back to you. I want you to notice there that already there's faith in the resurrection. Abraham says, we're going over there to worship and we're coming back to you again. Somehow. Some way. So Abraham, he laid the wood on Isaac's back and he trudged up the mountain with fire and knife in hand. And as they climbed the mountain together, Isaac turned to his father and asked, my father. And Abraham answered, here I am, my son. And Isaac said to him, behold, the fire and the wood but where is the lamb 
for the burnt offering. And Abraham replied with those faithful words, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. At the top of the mountain, Abraham stacked up the wood, making an altar. He tied up Isaac and laid him on the wood. And then Abraham took the knife and raised it above Isaac, ready to sacrifice his very own son. But it was at that very moment that the angel of the Lord called out to him, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And when Abraham lifted his tear-stained face and his bloodshot eyes, he saw a beautiful sight. He saw a ram caught in a thicket of thorns. And so Abraham, he untied Isaac, and the ram was offered up in Isaac's place. And Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Abraham's life, if you follow his story all the way through, it was all leading up to this point. He who loved his son so much is willing to offer him up as a sacrifice to the Lord. And Abraham trusted in the promises of God. Abraham trusted that even death itself would be no barrier to the promises of God. And that even if Isaac was dead and buried, well, then God would just have to raise him from the dead to see to it that all of those promises would all move forward, like the world's salvation through his seed like the blessing to all nations and the descendants as numerous as the stars of the heavens. In the near sacrifice of Isaac, God also shows us a little more clearly what he himself would do for each and every one of us. Because just like his father Abraham, God the Father took his only son, Jesus, the one he loved, and offered him up for us all. Just like Isaac carried the wood of the sacrifice up Mount Moriah, Jesus carried the wood of the cross up Mount Calvary. He was the Lamb of God, crowned with the crown of thorns, and obediently laid down on the altar that Isaac escaped from. He trusted perfectly in the love of the Father, that the Father would raise him from the dead, and that by his rising, he would be a blessing to all nations, to all tribes and languages and people everywhere, and to make his offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven, all through the word of his forgiveness and the promise of his salvation. You see, when our Lord declares that Abraham rejoiced to see his day, that he saw it and was glad, is proof positive that Abraham saw Good Friday 2,000 years in advance. Up on Mount Moriah, Abraham saw Jesus on the cross, in a way. He believed that God would provide the sacrifice. He believed that what God demanded, God himself would provide. He believed that the God who asked of him the unthinkable would himself do the unthinkable and give to us his most precious treasure, 
and provide everything necessary for our salvation, atonement for sins, death and resurrection, and eternal life for all who believe. So if we want to contemplate the wonderful message of salvation, it's got to go back to the love between a father and a son. The rule or principle of first mention. Regarding this love between the Father and the Son, few have written of it more beautifully than our Lutheran hymn writer, Paul Gerhardt. This is how he puts it in the third stanza of A Lamb Goes Uncomplaining Forth. Yes, Father, yes, most willingly. This is the Son speaking. I'll bear what you command me. My will conforms to your decree. I'll do what you have asked me. Oh, wondrous love, what have you done? The Father offers up his Son, desiring our salvation. Oh, love, how strong you are to save. You lay the one into the grave who built the earth's foundation. It's hard to even speak or sing those words without shuddering. Dear Christians, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he who did not spare his own Son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God will provide. Dear friends, there is no love apart from the love of God. There is no love apart from the love and the light of the most holy trinity, that most perfect communion and fellowship of love. And if we want to know it most intimately, we meditate upon the love of the Father and the love of the Son and the self-giving, self-sacrificial love that comes straight from the heart of God, a heart filled with love for our poor sinners. Our epistle this morning teaches us that Christ is our high priest who entered the most holy place with his own blood and obtained redemption for his people. Christ is the one who was before Abraham was and yet is his descendant. He is the promised son who carried the wood up the mountain for the sacrifice, who is bound and laid upon the altar of the cross. He is the ram who is offered up in our place, who is willingly caught into the thicket of our sin, and who wears the crown of thorns for our salvation and for the life of the world. And now risen from the dead, he reigns triumphantly, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And he has a heart of love for you. In the temple this morning, Jesus says, if anyone keeps my word, that is, if anyone believes in me, he will never see death. He will never see death. That's the God in whom Abraham trusted. He trusted in the love of the Father whose Son would come to taste death for us to drink the cup of wrath down to its bitter dregs, that we would be released from death's power 
and so sip from a chalice of the sweetest wine with blood that forgives and satisfies and delivers eternal life. Finally, I want you to think again on Abraham, and I want you to think again about that dreadful request that God made of him. As you prepare for a new week, you should know that God will ask troubling things of you too, hard things. Real suffering and real trials, God will most certainly send your way. And there's just no way around that. But how comforting to remember that he who asks of you hard and difficult things is he who has given you his very all and his very own son and withholds absolutely nothing from you. So therefore, when our crosses do come, and come they will, you may receive them cheerfully, knowing that they come from the very heart of him who loves you and even raises the dead. In the name of Jesus, amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.